Alright, so this is called a view of biblical justice. So I'm not I'm not telling you this is the one or this is the best one. I don't consider myself an expert uh, on this um, on this topic, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you how I kind of got into thinking about the topic. As I've just noticed over the past couple of years, particularly 2020, I've seen how uh, people in the church have been reacting uh, to um, the conversations concerning justice, some of the injustices we've seen on the television. And one thing that I've noticed is that most people are reacting with their gut. There's not, there's not like a, a very comprehensive thought process. And so people's gut takes them different places, but I've seen people fall off the ditch uh, on the hyper-conservative side and fall off the ditch on the hyper-progressive side. And so I was thinking, like, what is going on? It felt like um, in Ephesians 4 when uh, he's, uh, the Bible says that Christ gave the leaders of the church so to equip them for the work of ministry, and so they would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And it looked to me that people are getting tossed everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, man, I need to, I need to somehow uh, think about this, grasp it. And so I'm, let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to answer every question you have about biblical and, and theological uh, views of justice. But what I aim to do is give you some uh, categories, give you some boxes of thought to give you a grid through which to interpret what is going on. So I probably I'm not even really going to be talking too much about the pertinent issues of today, but rather I want to take a step back and go, okay, what is the framework scripturally and theologically when we get this new information and an event happens? Like, what what do we do with it other than just going ah, you know? Like, let's 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 have some some ways to think about it. And so I'm getting some of my thoughts um, from biblical theology of, of of justice, also from uh, church history. Uh, something called uh, uh, Christian social thought. And so there's been theologians throughout the centuries who have thought about these hard questions. And so uh, nothing I'm saying is particularly original, uh, but I, I, went, I went back and tried to mine uh, throughout the history of the church what, what have, have uh, theologians and pastors said concerning these things. So first, um, I just want to think about the word justice itself. And justice is rooted in the image of God and the dignity of every person. And that's Genesis 1. And we can see that the Bible commands justice. So I'm a quote from this one book called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth by Thaddeus Williams. It says, God does not suggest he commands that we do justice. So the scripture says, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor, who, him who has been robbed. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Is it not the fast is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. See, doing justice brings uh, a brightness and a blessing into our lives. So some scriptures say, it says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. Defending the cause of the poor and the needy is what it means to know God. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy and then it was well. And so you see, like if you, I've been in the Psalms a lot recently. I try to read one or two Psalms a day and it is just a repeated uh, theme 
of the Psalms and the scriptures in general to look out for those who are downtrodden or, or those who are particularly vulnerable. And so there really are, I think, in the scripture and in, in justice literature, there's like two kinds of justice. There's something called retributive justice, retributive justice. And that's like, you know, if a person murders somebody, they go to jail, right? Or or repaying what is stolen, like suing for damages. And so when when some people say justice, they're thinking about like, is the judge fair, right? Is is it fair? Do people get what is due? There's this other type of justice, which is called restorative justice. And that's helping vulnerable people and adjusting social structures. So an example of that would be the civil rights legislation of the late 1960s, right? It wasn't that the judge had somebody in front of them. It was like, are you guilty or not? There was like some some issues like, oh, these group people don't have access to vote. So we need to change the laws so that this group of people have the appropriate access. So there's uh, (laughs) retributive justice and restorative justice. And the Bible talks about both, right? The Bible talks about like judges not showing partiality. Right. That would be the first type of justice. But then there's also the Bible talking about, well, look out for the widow and the alien and and the orphan. This this is the other type of justice. And so we have to have both of those views in mind. And what happens is uh, our folks on on the political right, they want to talk about the first kind and our folks on the political left will talk about the second kind. Right. And the reality is, is both of those are, are biblical avenues of justice. Now, I told you, I'm just going to give you a little slot. So these might not all connect. So that's one slot. There's two kinds of justice. The next slot is we have to ask the question, who is oppressed? Right? Scripture talks about oppression a lot. Who is oppressed? And there's a theologian named Nicholas Walterstoff, and he, he coined this term, the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, in Zechariah 7.10, it says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the resident alien, or the poor. Mm-hmm. All right, so you'll see those four, four categories of people consistently um, needing defense, right? So you got widow, orphan, excuse my handwriting, uh, alien, or resident, and the poor. And so the, the Bible is, is really it's really interesting how the Bible like straight up like outlines who who is oppressed these people and these are these are people that uh, they're without social helps right so in in the context of scripture you know there's not like a uh, some sort of welfare system right and so the, the, the widow would have been left without a defense uh, the orphan not without having parents were left out, out without defense the alien who's come like from another country who comes in like the Bible already assumes. That that person would be left without defense, and then the poor, those on the bottom rungs of society. And so we, it's really interesting. We actually don't have to guess who is oppressed. It's not like who, who I no no. We we can have this grid, these categories through which to look and look at the society and say who is filling these slots. And like to make it even more plain, I can look in my neighborhood and find this. Like in this neighborhood, I know. Widows, and I know that they are are prone to be an overlooked. I know, like real or functional orphans, right, whose parents aren't there or are 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 absent. Um, I know though, I mean, who are immigrants or those who are foreign culturally, and I know those who seem to be trapped in this generational cycle of poverty. And so, with that grid, I, I, it's no longer uh, like who who is that, 
It's like, no, actually, I can run through that grid, that scriptural grid, and go, okay, in my society, in my neighborhood, in my culture, who fits in these categories? So that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about, so this is Quartet of the Vulnerable. The other thing I want to talk about is what is the source of injustice? All right, so this, this is a theological question. What is the source? Another way to say it is, what is the source of evil? Yeah, that's another way to say it. Now, um, depending on which church tradition you come from, there will be a different emphasis on what is actually the source of evil. So, for example, if you come from uh, a reformed or an evangelical perspective, they're going to say sin, sin, the flesh, sin, the flesh. You know, so it's like it's, it's individualized. It's the, the person has an issue, right? Uh, it's their sin nature, which they're not fighting against. If you come from a Pentecostal or charismatic stream, you're going to say, well, it's Satan. It's Satan. It's, it's the demonic, right? Uh, if you come from a more progressive stream, you're going to say it's systems. Now, Bible, the Bible has a word to describe this, and it's actually the world. Okay? So, in the Bible, it talks about the flesh, the world, and the devil. Yeah? Okay, so, so even from the scripture, we actually have a lens through which to view evil. And so, the, the, I'll give you an example. So, if you look at the, um, the book of Genesis, particularly the first 11 chapters, it's talking about the origin of evil. And so, you get Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is really focusing on this one, right? The individual, Adam, he sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. You get to Genesis 6, and there's that weird part where it says, and the sons of God came down, and, and it was like, what is that? You know, so like, if you read the, the earliest things, like they're not, it's not metaphorical, the way they received it, right? So you see this blatant, like, satanic activity happening, and then you get to Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, right? The Tower of Babel is where everybody joined together and collectively wanted to be against God. And so, like, if you look at uh, kind of a holistic view of the origin of evil, it actually encompasses all three of these things. And the reality is that in the world, like in the world that we live in, that is true, too. So I'll give you an example. I had a family member uh, who grew up in 1960s in the Mississippi Delta. All right. Uh, that, that was racist, in case you didn't know. Um, she, um, she explained to me that when she was a little girl, they were in a, uh, in a gas station because they were traveling. And um, she was one of the last people to get in the door. And she said there was a there's a white man who looked at her and intentionally slammed the door and it hit her toe. Now, when it when it hit her toe, it broke her toe. And so then they had to go to the hospital in order to address the toe. But when they went to the nearest hospital, they said, we don't allow black patients. So then they had to go 30 minutes away to the next hospital. So when you analyze that event, you actually see all three of these things working together. So the, the, the individual was wrong. Yeah, that was like you shouldn't be slamming the door on people. But then like, yeah, like this is a little girl. It's not like somebody you don't even know them. Right. There's like there's some sort of like satanic, like demonic influence there. And then you have the world are the structures in which the, she could not get help uh, from the, the systems that were existing. So when you look at uh, injustice, usually you have all three of these working together, which means that it is not simple. Yeah. And so everybody, people just so like, again, some, some traditions, people need to stop sinning. Well, yeah. 
They do. You know, or some truths. People need to pray more. Well, yeah, yeah, we do. And people need to fix systems. Yeah, true, true. But the reality is the Bible has a more nuanced view of evil and injustice, which means, again, we got to think through. Uh, I'm trying to develop a grid or a framework. We have to have a biblical framework of what is going on so that we don't come up with overly simplistic answers. Right. Yeah. And so, that, so what happens when people overemphasize one to the exclusion of the other, they have oversimplistic answers, right? So people who want to emphasize this, they're like, you know, we just, just preach the gospel, you know, just preach the gospel. Well, yes. Hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm about that life. All right. And then you got people who are like, we just need to have a day of prayer fasting. We just need to, we're going to fast that, that demon away. And then you got people like, forget all this. People ain't even really that much of a sinner. The system created them to be evil. And it's like, well, it's all of those things are true, which has to impact the way that we look at and address these things. Okay, so that that's this is one box. Remember, I'm trying to get you some categories. All right. One box source of justice. So, again, when we're looking at uh, issues, let's let's I'm I'm trying to make it uh, to make it make a little more plain. All right. So in my neighborhood. There is, uh, there are a lot of um, uh, single mothers, okay? Now, statistically, we know that children of single mothers don't usually do as well, right, as children of, of, of intact families. So it's like, well, what is, what is, what is causing that, right? And so there's one, there's one avenue that could be like, well, let's, let's just roll up on all the single moms and you're like, you know? And it's like, now, that could be a case. Like, with, an individual could be in sin, yeah? But then... We have uh, some satanic, demonic influence, right, that, that kind of uh, tempts us to uh, have sex outside of marriage, tempts us to, to not love, um, you know, our significant other, things like that. But here's the other thing. One of the things I talk to when people who are, are together but not married, they actually, it's really interesting, they will get de-incentivized by the government financially to get married. <laughs> so, like it, it, like, it takes money out of their pocket to get married. Okay, so, like, so, so what's the problem? Well, all of it, all of it is the problem. And, and the church has to be able to, to, to go, okay, let me look at each individual thing and try to holistically approach it. All right, so that's one thing. The other thing I want you to, to think about is a doctrine called vocation. I'm a, I'm a church history dork. The, the guy who really uh, popularized this doctrine is Martin Luther. The reformer. And the idea is this the doctrine of vocation stresses the priesthood of all believers in the temporal world, where all have a call from God to serve their neighbor in their everyday endeavors. So let me let me make it a little bit more plain. So when, when we think of the priesthood of all believers, usually what we're thinking about is the Holy Spirit can speak through everybody, which which is true, but that's not what the reformers were talking about. The reformers were talking about that everybody's calling, whether it was pastor or farmer or, you know, business person or mayor, everybody's calling is the way in which they minister and serve the Lord. Do you see the difference? It's not, it's not just saying everybody at church can say something. And that's cool. We cool with that. But when, what they said, they're like, hey, listen, because it was a two-tiered society. You know, you had a regular job and then you had religious orders. You know, the monks, they were super spiritual, right? They, they was in, but you, you just got a regular job, so I hope you go to heaven. You know, like, and the former was like, no, 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 no. Actually, every single calling is the means through which you serve God. And so, so, um, I, so in, in another way to say it, 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 is vocation is actually the usual means 
through which God cares for his creation. So let's think about it. You have food in your refrigerator, yeah? All right. I want you to think about how many hands touch that food. Now, don't, don't be creeped out about that. But, like, what, how many people were involved in the distribution, the making, the selling, the, the, the truck driving? Like, there's, like, a line, a long line of people that, that because they fulfilled their specific vocation, you have food. And so Luther would say, when you say, uh, when you do the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. He said, think about all of, the, all of the people who had to be doing their particular job in order for you to get that piece of bread on your plate. All right, does that, does that make sense? So that, 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 this is an important idea, this idea of vocation. Now, all Christians have multiple vocations. So vocations is not, it's not only your job. It's not less than your job, but it's not only your job. So I'll give you an example. My vocations, I think in order of importance, is husband, father, pastor, neighbor. Okay, so, so, so one of the ways God cares for my wife is through my vocation as a husband. One of the ways God cares for my children is through my vocation as a father. One of the ways that God cares for Reconciled Community Church is through my vocation as a pastor. So, so everybody in here is going to have multiple vocations. And the reality is some of them you choose and some of them you don't, right? It's just kind of like this is what you have been given. Okay, so we, 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 we okay? Got any questions? Okay, remember, providing boxes, providing boxes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, I think you'd have to get more specific. I think being a Christian shades all of your vocations. So being, being a Christian, uh, like, there would be something distinctive about being a Christian husband. There'd be something distinctive even about being uh, a Christian banker, right? So I think the, the, the Christian, yeah, you're right, in the sense that vocation uh, is the word for calling. Yes, Christian is a vocation. But if you don't get a little more specific, I think people would be, uh, they wouldn't be challenged enough. Um, but yeah, so, so we got these, these callings. And, and the reason that, again, give me some theology. The reason that Luther really hit on vocation, and this is all the stuff you needed to go research, right? Luther te- teaches something called two kinds of righteousness. All right, so the two kinds of righteousness is the, the, um, the righteousness that we have in Christ, and it's a heavenly righteousness. The reason this is important is because, because it's in Christ, it's not a, it doesn't get affected day to day, right? It's not like you had a bad day. It's like, oh, snap. The reason this is important is because Luther thought the doctrine of justification actually frees your mental capacities so that you can focus on your vocation. If me and God are cool, then what I need to do is look around me. Because what happens if me and God are, if I, if I have a, if I'm fearing that me and God aren't cool, I'm, what am I looking at? I'm just looking at me. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm introspective. I'm self-absorbed. Am I doing okay today? Luke's like, no, you don't have to do that anymore. Like, Christ has taken care of that. That doesn't mean you just chill. The horizontal type of righteousness is loving your neighbor, right? And you love your neighbor specifically, through your vocation, right? 
So like the, 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 one, the neighbors who are the closest to you are the ones that God has placed next to you through the vocation that he has given you. And you're like, what does this have to do with justice? All right, I'm going to try to connect the dots, okay? Um, so God has given various vocations and society for the pursuit of justice. This is funny because I'm quoting me. Anyway, I wrote this one. <laughs> I wrote this in an article. Uh, the equitable treatment of everyone and the protection of the vulnerable is one of the objects of vocation. For example, one of the most vulnerable populations to be provided for and protected by vocation are children. In God's economy, the child is supposed to be taken care of by the vocation of the parent. The child is secure in the vocation of a covenantal loving marriage of the parents. The parents provide for the child through the vocation of work. The neighborhood is supposed to be protected by the vocation of the good citizen and the government vocations of civil workers, police, EMT, firefighters. And a child is supposed to be protected from potential war via the federal government and the military. See, I could go on and on, but if persons in these various vocations fulfilled these callings with faithfulness and love for those with whom they are in direct contact with, justice for that child would be achieved. Do you see? So if people are, you're seeing, like, so when vocations break down is the issue. So injustice is the abdication or the abuse of one's vocation. Injustice is the abdication or abuse of one's vocation. For instance, you know, the, the idea of an unjust judge. Right? There's an unjust judge. He's not fulfilling his, his vocation in a way that is honorable. There is going to be injustice. If there is an absent parent, right, then there is going to be a vacuum of the vocation of parent in that child's life. And that will equal injustice for that child. And then you can only see how the, the ramifications of that would continue and continue and continue. And then some vocations are, are straight up created for injustice. Like nobody's like, yo, I'm a bank robber. But some people are. That's like their vocation. It's like, that's an invalid one. <laughs> There's such a thing as an invalid. Like, like, I'm a prostitute. Well, that's, let's not, that's not one of the ones you can do. <laughs> that's not the category of ones that are okay. Right? I would even say like, like uh, uh, the, 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 the slave ma master right? in, in, you know, in America. I'd say that would, that would be an, an invalid vocation. Okay? So the first step of justice is to fulfill your vocation. And this makes justice immediately applicable, right? It's not because a lot of times what happens when we talk about justice, it's like over there, you know, <laughs> somewhere over there. And you, everybody feels excited because they post it on social media. But <laughs> the, the first step of justice is to fill your, fulfill your vocation. And here, here's this example because I have to I think about my vocation a lot. So my vocation, right, is, is being a pastor. But here's the interesting thing. My vocation as a pastor is actually predicated on my fulfillment of my vocation as a husband and a father. That's scripture, right? Yeah. Right? So if I don't do those vocations, I actually disqualify myself for this one. Right. Okay? And that all, that all those vocations are connected so that we are called to be faithful in the area. So, again, that's, that's step one. So if people aren't fulfilling their vocations in a faithful way, we don't really need to be talking about injustice over there because you are committing injustice in your life. Okay, that's so again, creating categories, boxes. 
Uh, the next thing I would uh, talk about is advocacy. I don't know if that's how you spell it, but you get it. Uh, advocacy. And so uh, when you look at the prophetic literature in the scriptures, like from Isaiah all the way to Malachi, right? The prophetic literature, it is full of prophetic advocacy. And I'll give you an example. The, the example that I love the most is Amos. I preached through Amos, so I was like, I've been in Amos for a minute. And so what's, what's interesting about Amos is that, because here, let me tell you, let me back up. The reason that gets funky is because they'll say, well, prophets were prophesying to God's people. Therefore, it's hard to apply that to the society at large because we don't live in a nation state like Israel was. Okay, you get it? So like, how, what do we do? Well, Amos was from the southern kingdom, Judah, which, which was largely faithful in comparison to the northern kingdom of Samaria, which was not faithful. But he was called to go to the northern kingdom. So the king that for, for hundreds of years had not been worshiping Yahweh. Okay? He's called to go to the northern kingdom. And the stuff that he says to them is like in Amos 4.1. says, listen to this message, you cows of Bashan. That's not a nice thing to say. Who are on the hill of Samaria, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. So he's being sent to a nation, right, that is not really in covenant faithfulness with the Lord, yet they are still called to the standards of justice. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good. Establish justice at the city gates. That's like the court, right? Perhaps the Lord, the God of armies, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And again, go back to the scriptures. At the end of Isaiah, like, there's all these prophecies to like, um, uh, you know, the, the Ethiopians and Egypt. And, and look at the content of what they're saying. The content of what they're saying is about justice. It's about societal justice. And so we have this, this um, uh, uh, example from the scripture that one of the things that, that faithful Christians do is they speak up when something is not right. So you speak in defense of the downtrodden. And Christ continues this. Y'all remember the story where um, uh, it's, it's Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? Right, okay, so it, the power dynamics of that are kind of funky, right? You got the male religious leaders and this woman, and they're trying to bring her out in public and stone her, right? And Jesus is like, hold up now. <laughs> Wait a second. Or, or the example of Apostle Paul and the, the demon-possessed slave girl. So there's a, there's a story where Apostle Paul is walking through a city. There's this demon-possessed slave girl who's just saying, these, it's really funny, like, these are the men of God or whatever. And he, he gets frustrated, and he casts out the demons. And, and then well, who gets mad is the business owners of the, of the, the, the community because she was uh, like a, a, a kind of a fortune teller for their idolatry. But you see, even we have Jesus and the apostles speaking up for those who are in oppressive situations, Okay. So I think that this particularly is one of the, the church's function. So let, let, me give you, let me give you a concrete example and kind of how I think through what the church should say and how, right? Because it gets funky when you, you get into politics and stuff like that. Like, let's say too much, too little, what's going on? So, so um, when, okay, when the, the, when the former president said, Something about S-hole countries, right? These people are coming for S-hole countries, right? All right, you did, I, did not, I did not say much about that. But what I said is, hey, we need to affirm the dignity of every person no matter which country they come from. 
You see, see, so I didn't have a political discourse about what he did and no, but there's something that has been said that that the church should respond to because it's contrary to the text. Right. Okay. let's let me be equal opportunity. So President Biden, he's quoting Isaiah six and using it uh, for the U.S. military. Well, that that's not what that's talking about. Right. That's that's almost like we're we're in holy war. Right. And we were like, no, well, the, the, the nation of God is the church, not any one state. But you see how like there's 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 certain things that are said. And we're like, actually, that is contrary to what the scriptures say. Now, I'm not getting it like let's go back to my vocation. I am not a political analyst. I am not a military. And I don't know. I don't know a lot about how to do that. But and that's an interesting thing. When you when you read the book of Amos, he's like calling out all this injustice. And he don't tell them how to fix it at all. <laughs> he just said it's wrong. <laughs> Do something. It ain't right. But I think this is important. It goes back to my vocation. So what, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have the vocation as uh, someone in politics. I don't have the vocation as a general. I don't know all the nuances of that. But when there are principles that are being broken that are contrary to the scriptures, then, then that is the church's vocation. To say something, hey, hey, listen, that's not that's contrary to what we what 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 God has said. All right, so we have vocation, advocacy, and this one is going to get a little more dorky. We're going to talk about institutions. Uh, institutions are vocations writ large. So, for example, um, let's say we, there's the institution of the school. What is the school supposed to do? It's supposed to teach kids, right? Now, if the school all of a sudden developed an army and started attacking people, you'd be like, wait a minute. That's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that, that's not your stated purpose of existence. You, you are actually transgressing uh, the bounds of your institution because you are not functioning as that institution should be. And when I say institution, I mean a grouping of people to fulfill a particular thing. That's an institution, right? Uh, one of the, the academic terms is mediating institutions. So mediating institutions are churches, schools, fraternal organizations, professional associations, even clubs. So the idea is it's not the individual and it's not the state, right? You have all types of groupings of people for all types of reasons, right? And, but here's the deal. That if they are functioning properly, then that actually makes for a, 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 a just society. If the mediating institutions are functioning properly. So, again, let's go back. Let's go back to 1960. So if the churches aren't fulfilling no vocation of advocacy and being like, you can't have separate water fountains. <laughs> that because that's Imago Dei. Right. Right. And then if. The voc- if the institution of the police department is hosing people down, we're like, hold up. Now, no, that, that's not what you're supposed to be doing either. <laughs> you're supposed to be protecting people. You see what I'm saying? So, when, when, so when, when there is injustice, there is a breakdown in the institutions of society in which they are not doing what they're supposed to do or they are abusing the function that they are supposed to have. So I'm going to quote me again. So we can locate injustice as a failure of institutions in some way. Again, institutions have vocations or particular goals and purposes. If they do not meet them, 
or abuse power, they create injustice. So if there is a school district in which children have failing grades, it would be appropriate to examine the institution of the district and the particular schools in which the children have failing grades. It would be, uh, excuse me, things would be relatively simple if institutions existed in vacuums, but they do not. So any given person is a part of and affected by multiple institutions. So in examining a particular student's reasons for not excelling in school, we would have to look at multiple institutions. Now, the most obvious would be the school, but that student is a part of a family, which is the institution. That student lives in a particular city and under a particular county government. That's an institution. That student has particular neighbors. The children could be in an area affected by gentrification and displacement. But all it goes on and on and on, which it's, I think this is true, but what's frustrating about it is it means there's no quick fixes. Right? If what I'm saying is true, then you're not like, let's just do it. Okay. So in order to identify the, the loci of injustice, one has to understand the purpose of various institutions that affect a person and ask of each institution, is it fulfilling its vocation? So what if said student is hungry when they come to school? We would have to examine the institution of that particular family. Now suppose the parent or guardians do not have adequate transportation for work. Then we would have to look at the institution of the local government and public transportation. Suppose a student lives in a violent neighborhood that distracts him from his studies. Then we would have to look at the institutions of the neighborhood, associations, and local policing. The point is that in any given situation of injustice, there are, are a variety of institutions that could positively or negatively impact that person. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So again, I, I think this is true, and I, I, my studying, but, but that just means it's, it's nothing simple. <laughs> if there's multiple institutions affecting one individual and problems could be in multiple institutions, that means in order to actively uh, pursue justice, it makes, it makes it a little bit more complex. Now, now here, here's one thing. So the church itself is an institution, right? It's a, it's a gathering of people to do a thing. Yep. Okay. Now, here's a question that I don't feel like people think about. What is the church's vocation? So a lot of people are frustrated with church. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But if, if we don't answer this question, mm -hmm. we might be frustrated because they're, they're not doing something they're not even made to do. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so like I, I, when, I, when I consider this, so I think about what is my vocation as a pastor? But when I ask the question, what do other people think I'm supposed to do? Man, the list is long. <laughs> right? And so, but I have to go, okay, actually, what do, what do scriptures say that I am supposed to do? Okay, so I think I think the church's specific vocation is to make disciples, and this is from Reformation stuff, through word and sacrament. So how do you know you got a church? Somebody preaching and somebody <laughs> baptizing and somebody taking communion. That's 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 how you know. <laughs> that's one. That's the central ingredients. If they're not doing that, they might be doing good stuff, but it's not a church. Okay, so then then the question is, okay, well, well how does the church affect justice? And, and keep its vocation central, right? And so at this point, um, we, we use this term gathered 
and scattered church. Now, a lot of times people use this when they're talking about the church being missionaries, but the original terminology is from Abraham Kuyper, who was a, a, a Dutch uh, pastor. And what he was saying is the church gathered does this thing, right? The church gathered does the word and the sacrament in order to equip the church scattered to fulfill their vocation. So when I think about my, when I think about my church, my church is a small church, so I, I know what people do. And I'm like, well, we got people who are uh, engineers and marketing and government who are teachers. Okay, so what is my job? Well, I believe that God works through the word and the sacraments to transform people. And I believe that if I shepherd them to take their vocation seriously, that them doing their vocation actually works towards justice in my community. Does that make sense? Okay, now I ain't done. Now, here's the other thing that, that is interesting. Sometimes there is either uh, an abuse or an absence of, of, of some sort of institutional function. And the question then is, what does the church do then? So when we look back at the civil rights movement, and you'll hear, hear language like, you know, the church did, did this, that, and the other. But if, if you pay attention, the church started institutions that did this, that, and the other. So Martin Luther King started the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was to deal with the civil rights issue. So it's interesting. So like he still had a church, though, and they, they were still doing this thing, too. But they saw a need. And so then they're like, okay, we need we need another thing. <laughs> There's another thing, another institution which needs to have a very clear goal of which we are going to start and support. Does that make sense? Okay, because here, here's why I think um, this is where it gets funky, because some churches are like, we need to just preach the gospel and do this. This is what we need to do. And some churches are like, well, we need to do all the social services. And, and I think this is a paradigm through which we accomplish both and through which everybody accomplishes the God-given goal. Right. So so if my church accomplishes 50 bazillion social services, but I do not preach the Bible, I did not fulfill my vocation. I didn't do my part because we believe, I mean, I believe the word does work in people's hearts and, and does sanctification. So I would like if I take that out, then I am taking a piece out of the puzzle of a just society. And so it's a really humbling place to be to go, OK, I can't fix everything. But, but what am I called to do in my vocation and what institution am I called to build and or help so that justice is accomplished holistically? So when, when we were um, doing uh, neighborhood walks in my neighborhood, we were doing a evangelism and praying. We would always ask, what, what do y'all need? What do people need? And everybody said the same thing. We need something to keep the students off of the streets after they get out of school. Everybody said the same thing. And we kept hearing that. And I'm like, what are we going to do about that? You know, like, how do we, you know, and help them with school? I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So as I started studying these, the, these concepts, I'm like, okay, well, the institution of the church isn't necessarily to do that. But I can create something. I can create an after-school program where the, the, the purpose of the after-school program is to address this gap, this need that is in the community. So we started an after-school program called Welcome Leadership Development. Why? Because we saw there was a gap in justice in our community and there needed to be an institution to address. Now, here's, here's the thing that I've seen a lot. What happens, this is anecdotal, okay? This is just my experience. What happens 
is that people are in church and they see some layer of injustice. Something's not getting done. And then they get mad at the church because it's not doing it. So then they leave the church and start a thing. Okay? You know? And then, but the thing that they start has no connection to the church. And so we have institutions giving off good and services, and then we have the institution of the church doing the word and the sacraments, but there's this big wall in between them to which the people who are getting the good and services, there actually is an injustice because they're not getting the word. Because it all holistically has to work together. So, so like, let's, let's make it plain. So when I think about my community, I, I know that there's a lot of, of uh, sexual assault that goes on. Well, down the street, there's an organization called the Julie Valentine Center. And it's specific that the purpose of that institution is to serve victims of abuse. So I'm like, well, how can we as a church help? Now, if I went to go start, if I went to add that to my plate of things to do, I probably wouldn't do it that good. But uh, during Lent, my church took an offering. And we were able to give money to the Julie Valentine Center and say, we think this is a thing that needs to happen. And we want to make sure it happens. Okay, the, uh, the, the, the school is an institution, particularly athletics is important in this community because it gives students things to do. And because we are in one of the most poverty stricken areas of the county, uh, they don't have a lot of funds for their athletics. So we also raised money for that athletics department. So they could buy the equipment that they needed so the students have something to do at school. So again, I'm trying to illustrate how the church and other institutions can work together so that there can be holistic justice. And, you know, there's tons of examples. There's the Piedmont Women's Center. It's all these these things. There's there's something called the Ann Campaign, right? Why? There's an issue, so you start an institution to deal with the issue. You see what I'm saying? And so... I think that's what I got, man. Uh, <laughs> anybody got any um, clarifying questions? Yes, ma'am. I'm still struggling as a retired person. I don't fit into the vocation thing mm-hmm. very well. And understanding as a Christian, the, the church has a vocation even though it's not an individual. It's a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. So that whole metaphor thing, I'm just not sure where I would fit. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that's a good question. So where, where would you fit in your vacation if you're, if you're tired? I, I, um, I, I think that you would, you would find an institution to volunteer for. I, think, I mean, to make it plain, you know what I'm saying? So like, like for me, you know, I'm married, I have young kids. I have super limited time, right? And, and for me to be faithful to the president, okay, I can't do all the other things, right? That's one of the reasons I'm like I've stepped out from the leadership and campaign. I'm like, okay, this this is important, but I have other things to do. <laughs> that if I don't do that, then I actually am violating what I'm teaching right now. But what, if people have more margin, then they can actually dedicate their time to build, so they can create a vocation through partnership with an institution, in order to accomplish the aims of justice. And and that and so so and, and that kind of define like it's like what is your lane right like so if someone wants to get in politics that's a lane you know someone wants to get there's harvest hope food ministry like that's a lane right but see here's the deal as a Christian I think what's important is that we would understand that the church's vocation is important and so that as I am involved with other institutions if I want to holistically help that person I will also connect them. 
to the institution of the church. And that's what I think the breakdown is, um, particularly in areas like these. There's a plethora of institutions that do a variety of things. Uh, there's not a lot of working together <laughs> because everybody thinks their institution is the most important. <laughs> but if everybody goes, okay, let's be honest. <laughs> People need a variety of things. Let's work together to make sure. And as a Christian, we say, well, they, they, need, uh, they need Christ, right? And, that, and that's not to say that they don't need the other stuff. I'm not saying that. They, they need food, too. <laughs> they need both. And so we have to relate to institutions in a way that would be honest about both of those needs. Any other questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, ma'am. Well, this is great. It's, it feels very foundational. So we're in this racial yeah. crazy period in our country. Take us further. Maybe that's not the purpose of your yeah. talk. Yeah. Um, okay, sure. So I, here's the deal. I, I, can, I can take you only as far as my expertise goes. So when we talk about some of the racial conflict, racial conflict, racial uh, tension is like a broader term for stuff in economics, stuff in policing, stuff in school, stuff in government. So, so, okay, so, so, the, so that's the broader one, right? But in order to actually affect the thing, Christians have to pick one. <laughs> they have to pick one to do, right? And so uh, you're like, man, I really want to help policing. All right. If you wanted to help policing, it depends on what your, what your margin is. You could become police officer. You could try to con- there's there's uh, institutions that connect the the police and the particular community. Uh, you could advocate for de-escalation uh, training in policing. But but see when that and that's that's see, that's where it gets complicated because there's this big macro thing. But when you when you did when you dive down, so like for for me. Okay, so how do I help issues of injustice pertaining to race? In my vocation, I preach and I disciple. And if somebody's in my sphere of influence and they trip and I rebuke them. All right, and then if I have margin, I do stuff at the end campaign. (laughs) And then somebody says, you want to speak at this thing over there? Then I go speak at that thing, right? And so it's it's actually very, because, and actually these doctrines help us understand we're we're really small pieces of the pie. And we actually have to work together in order to accomplish holistic justice. But part of that is like what, what the Lord burdens you to do, right? And I think also with the humility to understand what the Lord burdens me to do is important, but it doesn't necessarily trump the, all the other things that need to be done because I'm a piece in, in the puzzle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, that's, so when I think about that issue, like that broad issue, I mean, we have other broad issues. Uh, I think about my community, and I'm like, okay, um, there's, people are having issues getting jobs. So then I'm like, why? What, what is happening? There's a variety of issues. People, trans, their public transportation is not great, right? Also, people don't have internet access at their house, right? You can't, or, or a computer. How are you going to write a resume if you don't got internet and you don't got no computer, right? And so like, even with those two, then I'm like, okay, so of those two, what can I do something about? Well, I'm like, well, I can't drive everybody around, but we got extra computers at the church and internet. <laughs> so does anybody need to do their resume? <laughs> Come on, I'll help you. And so that's you have to. So you take the broad issue and you have to kind of kind of systematize it down 
into which you can go. And but here's the deal: there are people people whose vocation is to think in broad terms, right? That's why it matters. Uh, that's why politics matter, right? So that in the in their particular vocation as senator, congress, whatever, part of the Christian's job is to analyze what they are going to do about particular issues. But as far as what what we can practically do from the day to day, your know, first step fulfill our vocation. Second step can we start and or help institutions that are actually addressing uh, the issue? And the, the, when, when you get to the issue, whatever the issue is, there's going to be sub-issues, <laughs> right? And so, like, my man here works at World Relief. We, there's an issue of displacement uh, and there's refugee. Okay, so what do we do? Well, there's this, there's this institution that helps settle them. So you feel like, oh, man, my heart really burns to that. And you call World Relief. <laughs> you're like, I want to help. And so... It really runs contrary to our culture uh, because social media makes us want everything to be a quick fix. Mm-hmm. And we'll go back to this. The, the problem is so complex mm-hmm. um, that it won't be a quick fix. And so when I actually understand some of these doctrines and thought processes, it actually, to a degree, helps me to calm down a little bit mm-hmm. and go, okay, okay, okay. All right, so what, what is it that I can do? And everyone has responsibility and their particular vocations to again, boom, advocate. So let's 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 make it plain. So when I when my vocation was to work at a bank, they wanted me to sell loans to people. Now there are certain people after I talked to their finance, talked about their finances. I'm like, you really don't need that loan. <laughs> now I could do what they told me to do, or I could go, hey man, listen, you really don't need this loan, and that. You see what I'm saying? Like that, that's when the, that, that's when it, like the rubber really mm-hmm. hits the road. Like when I'm in my vocation, whether that's the one that's my my job or uh, through volunteering, serving in other, other institution, will I carry that that vocation with the concerns of the the oppressed in mind? Mm-hmm. So uh, one more example, I'll be quiet. One more example. So, so like so, my kids are are homeschooled, but we live in this community, and there are a lot of people who go to school. And so me and my wife talk a lot, okay, just because my kid does not go to welcome doesn't mean I can't help welcome or I shouldn't. I actually should. We should go serve there, even if we don't, if my kids don't go there. Because that is, that is an institution that exists to serve my literal neighbors. Okay, I'm, I feel like I talked a lot now. Anything else? Yes. Sure. And then, you know, I was talking to an older brother and lawyer the other day, and his wife is very sick and he can't leave. And so when you're in those types of situations, I think you have to realize, everyone needs to realize their smallness of as in their individual actions that they can do. And then go, okay, given the realities of my life, what can I do? Now listen, I ain't, I'm not trying to discard some of the we can't pray. Like that's not that's not a non thing. Like you or you can encourage people that are pleading or serving in these institutions. And so I think it would have to be a question in a in a conversation with that particular person. Uh, but there's always something someone could do to serve the greater cause of societal justice.